welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast Podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, here returning with my awesome panel of people to dig into the world of grunge, which I have actually learned a little about, not much, since our last podcast. Uh, Julie and Derek were kind enough to provide us with a playlist, which was in the show notes of the last episode, which was episode 263, and that was uh, broadcast on September 24th. 4th of 2022. This is episode 300, kind of an epic episode. So thank you guys for coming on and uh, celebrating with me. We're going to get into the individual songs. But first, you guys, Julie, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming back. <laughs> Derek, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. My pleasure. And of course, John, our, our returning champion and most uh, viewed person on the podcast. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you for having me too, Scott. Absolutely. Thanks for taking a break from the Deep Purple podcast to to come back. And uh, I was recently on a couple episodes reviewing Rainbow's uh, last album, Stranger in Us All, which was a lot of fun, um, witches, hats and, and belt buckles and all. <laughs> and uh and uh yeah you're while while this is airing you're currently on a couple of shows that are airing on uh this podcast which are the uh, review that we did with Chris L from Pot of Thunder of a Three's Company episode and also uh Poison's album uh which one was it it's really just escaping my mind right now open up and say ah open up and say ah yes yeah. uh, we had we had fun doing our normal four part marathon episode of that album review <laughs> Uh, so, okay. So I did not learn a lot about like the history of grunge. So whereas on the last show, we were talking about where it got started. What, how did it end? What killed it, Derek? Oh, I don't know if it died, right? I don't know if it actually got killed off. in, in my opinion, I think it just, what quote unquote killed it, I think was the changing nature of music and how people got to it. Right. When you think about kind of towards the end of it, uh, you basically started to have the Napster thing start to happen. Right. And suddenly music just became this thing that was so widely, you know, widely available that I think people's tastes just fundamentally changed that it went from, I'm going to buy this album and listen to it to I can download thousands of tracks of all different genres, right? I mean, I think I think we maybe talked about it last time um, that Julie was talking about, like, the range of music that some of her students listen to, right, is so much broader than maybe how we grew up listening to music because of that. So I think it evolved. It changed. Um, I do think a little bit of it got transformed into the new metal stuff kind of towards the end of the 90s into the early 2000s which then kind of got into this bro thing that kind of killed it and all that type of stuff but i don't know it was right just like a lot of these other things it becomes a, a fad a little bit but then it evolves and changes and then i think it just ran headlong into the technological revolution of music in general yeah that makes sense and, and i think too there was a, like a, an immediate oversaturation people saw hey this is a new thing it's really successful let's jump on this bandwagon while it's hot and then all of a sudden there's so many bands doing this that it, it just kind of there's there's too much to listen to and it's really hard for anybody to stand out and survive except for the bands that kind of were at the forefront of it like pearl yep. jam and nirvana yeah um but i i do think that it morphed into some of the traces of things that i hear now um, some of the more gentle songs, there's, I don't know what the style is called, but there are songs that are kind of, the music is almost ethereal and there's just this vocal that sort of hangs over the top. And I hear a lot of it in uh, like soundtracks now. 
And uh, I think that kind of morphed from some of the more gentle, gentle songs of this era. Um, Julie, what what do you, what do you think about how it uh, how it changed? Or as I bang on my desk, <laughs> <laughs> well, I do know that all of the songs that we put on the list, people still do listen to them. Mm-hmm. In fact, one of my students' uh, guitar sessions last year, she just loved um, Soundgarden. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's still alive, but I don't really see bands, um, you know embracing the grunge saying like new up and coming things saying i want that sound yeah and we're if i'm not mistaken weren't there pedals guitar pedals that started to come out that really just dialed in that level of distortion you know i have to admit i don't really know Hmm. i think a lot of them were just going straight into the amp oh really no um but i'll have to do some research on that I, as I far thought as the actual sound, it, it, and I'm again, I'm not a guitar player, but I thought I remember hearing the term. I got a grunge pedal. Oh wow! So I, I thought there were like something marketed really to just that certain sound or or something similar to that sound that you could just get right away because you know, of course, we don't want to have to work for anything. So uh, the easiest way is to just dial something in as quickly as possible. If, well, if there was if there was a buck to be made, I'm sure someone figured out. Yeah. Absolutely. But I remember in the early nineties there were these like I had this ART SGX two thousand and then I moved on to the um the the, uh the Mesa Triaxis, you Mm. know, which was like crazy amounts of gain. And then there were these um rack mount units that you would have all the effects and everything's just all built in. And then when we'd go play shows, they would just you know, some of the grunge bands would just plug right into their amps. (laughs) They wow. weren't dealing with all the the gear. They just wanted to go back old school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I remember that Mesa. That we had standing orders for that when I worked at Pro Sound. Am I not here anymore? You are still there. I can I did, hear you, but I didn't see your video. Oh, um, for some reason my uh, my camera has disabled. Let's see. I know I'm still here. Oh, okay. Technology. There there he is. Now he's on the bottom right. (laughs) So for anyone who's looking for a professional podcast producer, I recover from uh, situations very quickly. Um, John, uh, now you you had some very strong opinions on your feeling towards grunge uh, because it ruined your life. And uh, (laughs) since our discussion last time, uh, aside from the playlist itself, have have, did our discussion or anything kind of uh, maybe warm you up to the idea of of having changed feelings about it at all? I I think it did, Um, just because uh, for for so many years, I just kind of pushed it to the side and felt the way that I felt about it 30 years ago. And um actually having a discussion about it and then listening to the music on the, the playlist, which we'll get into um, what separated it uh, from culturally, what grunge did or what it was. And I was just listening to it for the the music and the musicianship and, um, and, and the songwriting. And even though I know that, uh, or I've always known that a lot of these guys were influenced by the bands that I listened to, like they openly like 
I was uh, guitar players were influenced by Hendrix and and uh, and uh, Kiss and even Eddie Van Halen. I still didn't like it, and now I'm starting to. I, I was starting to see as I went through the playlist a couple of times. I started to see some of that. And um, like I said, separate my feelings about it from, okay, what do I actually like about this music? So actually, I took a lot of uh, notes on it because I don't know the songs that well. And um, I wanted to remember. And um, my point going into this is um, uh, finding the positive stuff in it instead of criticisms, um, which I've been doing for so long. So um, I I think it's fair to say that I gave all these a, a fair shake. I, I really appreciate that because as we get older, it's harder and harder to be more accepting of things that we've deemed unacceptable. So, yeah, uh, well, I, I mean, I'm already growth. I'm already get off my lawn about so many things. So it's like, <laughs> it's, I want this to be one of them. <laughs> well, there is that. It, it really, I mean, you, you bring up a good point because it, it really is to me, I, I guess, one way to sum it up from the stuff that we grew up on bands like Deep Purple and Zeppelin and King Crimson and Your Eye Heap. Uh, it really is a variation of riff rock. Because it's still based in those kind of patterns and the, the a similar song progression. Right. Um, as a guitar player, what would you say, Julie? Because guitar is really the primary instrument in most of these songs. It's not so keyboard oriented like a lot of rock music could be. Yeah, I think one huge element was they would tune down to get that real deep, heavy sound. Mm-hmm. And then um, I was looking at a lot of these songs um just a couple of years ago, and so many of them were using altered tunings, which I think those were kind of popular in the the seventies. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know um, if you think look at Joni Mitchell, like she just every song seemed to have a different tuning. So it, it's really neat to see that because it just gives a whole different tonality. I hope her guitar tech got paid well because that must have been fun <laughs> to do some shows for her. Uh, which song is she doing next and what key is it in and how do I have to, to manipulate the guitar? Uh, Derek, you're not a musician, but you have uh, obviously a perspective in, in music history. How how would you view grunge compared to rock music that came before it? Uh, yeah, I view it as, it, again, kind of it's... Uh, evolutionary and i feel like anytime you have those moments that feel um revolutionary in music really there's almost always something that comes before it right i mean you can go back to the very beginnings of of rock and roll and really it was kind of an extension of of the blues right and kind of blues and jazz and then right and all of those moments and i'll be honest with you the the songs that i picked for my playlist I kind of purposefully picked ones that I felt were a little bit closer to kind of that bridge between kind of the classic rock and the, in the, in the grunge type of stuff, rather than just going with like, here's the most grunge like songs I could possibly find. I kind of went for the ones that, you know, it kind of took those elements of those classic elements of rock and, and use them. Yeah. I, this is my non musicians kind of view of things, but in my head, I've always thought a little bit of, of grunge as being the arena rock type of rock, but played in the way that black Sabbath tuned their guitars and kind of played their music, right. Kind of like taking that heavy end of things, but then mixing it with kind of the, um, just the tonality and kind of the, you know, it, and then adding in a different songwriting perspective, which was a little bit less about the sex, drugs and rock and roll and more about everyday life. And, you know, mm-hmm. um, a little bit, um, 
different uh, topics and stuff. But um, yeah, that's, uh, I don't know, that was my approach with the, the, the list in of itself, because I think that there is, you know, while it was definitely some, some major changes, it still is based on what came before. <laughs> Yeah, and 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 it is interesting because I I'm not a, a big lyrics guy, but I did try and pay a little more attention to the lyrics as I went through the playlist, and and it does seem to be uh, what. Well, my impression of this era of music was the "woe is me," "why is life beating me down," "it's all unfair," "it's not my fault," uh, you know, all the stuff that I can't stand that people post on social media because everybody these days see well, not everybody, but. A lot of people seem to want to be victims, you know, please give me a hug because life has been so unfair to me. And that kind of drives me nuts because I think, you know, it's it's really about taking control and, and taking chances and trying to better your life instead of just waiting for it to happen. And this era of music always seemed to me to, from the songs that I knew was more of a... Uh, it's just so unfair. And and I think that was a big turnoff to me because I, I don't look at life that way. Um, what, John, what was your impression of before listening to the playlist? Did you have any thoughts on, you know, what the, what it was all about? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was basically the same as you. Mm-hmm. Um, this is exactly why I didn't like it. Um, was, um, my, the, the way that I was raised and my, uh, mindset has always been like, if, um, if life is hard, then, uh, and, and life is difficult. You don't freaking complain about it. You do something about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, um, I think that the the difference here is is um, if we want to go forward into actually thinking about it. Um, I mean, these are themes that have always been in music. It's just kind of been like different eras. Like uh, just think about Sabbath, right? Which is the uh, let's just say it's a template for a lot of these bands because I know a, a lot of them anyway have listed them as an influence. If you go back and listen to any of their lyrics, I mean, they were complaining about uh, the Vietnam War, like uh, insanity and uh, all you know, uh, questioning religion and all this stuff that were topics of the time. And you just fast forward 20 years and I mean, uh, feeling introspective or complaining or uh, feeling like you're you're bullied or life is a joke or whatever. I mean, they're, they're all themes throughout history. It was just a, in the 90s instead of the, the 70s or mm-hmm. even the 80s. But for some reason, it didn't resonate with me because I, I didn't feel that way in the in the 90s. Um, and, and and I think it was it was in part to a, a sign of the times because we we a, a lot of younger people were coming in with different attitudes than we all grew up with and um, right. I, I think it's represented in the music but I wasn't liking what what I was hearing from the generation either so it would make sense that I wouldn't like the message in that generation's music yeah. because it reflected real world you know uh, and as a side note on Black Sabbath uh, for you guys I, I know John you are for the the those of you out there who are fans of the Born Again album my fingers are so tightly crossed that we get the re-release this year uh not just a remaster but a remix it looks like tony iomi is actually going back and remixing uh the older albums they have found the tapes he's he's admitted that uh so they have the tapes i don't know how much bonus material but the new albums that are being released from sabbath are, are pretty extensive like multi-album sets with a lot of extra material uh, even if we just got a proper remix and, and remaster of the album, I would be very excited because it is one of my favorite albums. Uh, John, you were on the show when we covered it. You went out and got the the original vinyl of it, which I really impressed that you found that at a good price because <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it is not cheap by any no, means. And, be- and beautiful condition, too. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, even if it was like the cover was had like a, a big circle on it from the record pressing through it and the cardboard was all stretched, I would have paid a, a good hundred bucks for that. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it now because I haven't put it away since I bought it, but it's a little a little ring there, but not too bad. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's hard to find anything in, in really good condition from the 80s, yeah. let alone the 70s or the 60s. I, I actually just mm. got an album uh, off of eBay, which I don't buy a lot of albums on eBay. Uh, but it was one that I, I have a small list of vinyl that I want. And uh, I was so excited that it arrived and I opened it up and it was in three nice pieces and uh, not playable. So um, thank God it was only $4 and I was getting a refund. So, oh uh, man, you know, you take your chances on the older stuff these days. Um, Julie, b- before we get into the playlist, um, any any thoughts that you have on what the messages were from the songs that uh, that you're more familiar with? Um, well, if you look at Spoon Man, that's actually about artist the Spoon Man from Seattle. He was a street performer playing with the spoons. So, I mean, let me, I, I, I can't remember the actual lyrics. So, I wonder if there were any songs about the Seattle fish market because that was a huge, huge <laughs> yeah. thing. Corporations were, were doing a program called the Fish Philosophy, which was all about this uh, fish market in Seattle which is a horrible job. I mean, you're around smelly, slimy fish all day and you're wrapping it up and handing it to people. And they, they decided to make their jobs fun. You know, yeah. they're, they're the opposite of the people we were talking about earlier. They're like, we have a horrible environment. We got to do something to make us want to come into work. So they started doing fish tosses and all this stuff to try and make it fun. And a corporation found out about this and they, they made this whole program called the fish philosophy, which was about taking your sucky corporate job and trying to find ways to make it fun. And corporations would uh, pay for the program. They would give it to their employees. And for about, you know, 10 days to two weeks, uh, everybody adopted it and everybody was really happy. And then the business would get really busy again. And all of that would just be out the window. But it was like a really cool two weeks. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Two weeks, we have fun. Right. (laughs) The same grind. (laughs) Yeah. But, but so could you go into a little more detail about the, the, meaning of the song because i'm not familiar with the guy um it's just about him you know the chorus is feel the rhythm with your hands steal the rhythm while you can spoon man speak the rhythm on your own speak the rhythm all alone spoon man was so, was he a, like a, a a hand percussionist yeah spoons oh, okay. and, and things like oh, that okay. and then they had him in the song there's a little breakdown where he's playing you can't really tell unless you know it's about him but so I don't get the vibe of um, everything sucks, the world sucks, this is a hard time. Good. It's almost like it's a real rhythmic ki- kind of riff, you know, and the drums, um, it's definitely riff based. <laughs> but, you know, it's kind of about this this quirky street performer, you know. There was a, a girl I worked with uh, when I was living up in Denver, and it was around the time this song came out. And uh, she would just like bust in the office because we had our we had a, a little like four person office within the, the main office and we always had the door closed because we were on the phone. So we wanted to block out the sound and she would just come running in and just go spoon man. <laughs> and I didn't know what it meant because I didn't know the song. And then, of course, <laughs> right. you know, I, I heard it. But uh, she would also uh, like every Friday, she would say, hey, Scott, ask me if you could take me out for a drink after work. And I'm like, I'm not going to ask you. And she goes, no, just ask me. And this is this is a total Charlie Brown Lucy in the football situation. Oh. 
I'm like, I'm not going to get out of this because she's just going to bug me all day unless I ask her. So I go, hey, Kelly, um, can I take you out for a drink after work? And she'd go, I can buy my own drinks. And then she would walk out of the room. I'm like, I, I don't know how to stop making this happen. <laughs> and then she got fired for some reason or other. And that was the end of that. Oh, no. It's, it's interesting out there in the pro- corporate pro- world. Probably for forcing people, her coworkers, to ask her to take her out for a drink. <laughs> it, it might have a little something to do with that. Absolutely. Harassment. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's a great. Well, that part isn't a great segue. But uh, Julie, you talking about Spoonman is a great segue to get into our playlist. Because the first song on the list, uh, the first five songs were chosen by you. Uh, the first one is Spoonman. What what was was there a specific reason that you put this on the playlist for John and I to kind of sway us a little bit? Um, probably the the drums and the guitars playing together. I mm-hmm. I feel like it doesn't even matter what the lyrics are. This type of song for me, and I think my uh, colleagues in songwriting might might disagree because they always think the lyrics are everything. But I know you guys <laughs> would probably feel differently. Like the music tells me how to feel most of the time mm. in this song. So um, that's kind of why I chose it. It's real upbeat, funky, cool. There is some really cool, I, I would say almost, not quite, but almost muted picking that goes along with the drums really well in, in like the, the rhythm guitar. Um, I, I'll get uh, John's opinion on the song before I give mine. But uh, just to address the lyrics, I... I think it was more when I started getting into Cirque du Soleil music more than anything that I just stopped paying attention to lyrics. I, I hear the the vocalist more as an instrument, more as just like an emotional sound than I really do pay attention to what the story is. Every once in a while, I'll hear a lyric or for some reason, there's something that draws me in to pay attention. But for the most part, uh, and the reason I, and I say Cirque du Soleil is because their lyrics are gibberish. They're they're not even real words, uh, w- with the exception of just a couple songs and a couple phrases in other songs. They're completely made up. So uh, you really learn to just u- listen to the voice as a, as a sound mm-hmm. more so than, you know. Uh, John, what did you think of Spoonman? So they, um, the things that I found about it that I liked were um, pretty much the same thing that you know, you guys have been talking about uh, my first thoughts where it was a, a good percussive riff mm-hmm. um, with uh, good vocals, because that's uh, that's Chris Cornell, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he yeah. was actually one of the singers from the era that I actually I, I can admit I genuinely liked, um, you know, everything that he was on. Um, I also noted that the um, the, the breakdown um, in that song was a very. um uh, kind of uh, Bill Wardish drum breakdown by the uh, the drummer who I looked into that a little bit, um, and it wasn't so much that he was um, emulating him, but he um, uh, um, I get the the drummer um, Matt Matt Cameron. Um, I looked him up, and uh, it seems that he um, his primary musical interests were in progressive rock and uh, jazz subgenres, which was Bill Ward's influences. So that kind of accounts for why I felt I felt it was kind of a very Sabbathy drum breakdown toward the middle of the end of the song, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, and um, I guess that he was well known for using um, um, like tribal patterns and, and stuff like that, which was also something that that Bill Ward did. So I've kind of found a, a similarity there that I liked because I do like kind of, a, you know, a percussive riffs and uh, drums uh, it makes the you know, makes the music very kind of uh, catchy and, and groovy. So, um, I, I, and I've heard this one before too. Uh, this There are some of the songs on here I've never heard. And there are other ones like, yep, I've heard this one a bunch of times on the 
radio or whatever. And um, yeah, I, I thought this one was pretty good, actually. Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, it definitely had a 70s feel to it, um, a little bit in sound, but also in the performance. Um, it, it definitely felt like it was influenced by bands that I grew up listening to. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I love the term percussive riff because I do find uh, in, in the songs that I am familiar with and on some of the songs that we're talking about today, percussive riff is really part of the genre. You know, it wasn't just kick, snare, kick, snare, and hi-hats or ride. There was a lot of more toms and rhythmic uh, patterns, which I do find interesting, especially as a drummer, but just as somebody who wants to hear something different, you know, which is which is one of the reasons I would follow bands like King Crimson, because they would do, you know, just crazy things that weren't standard, straightforward music um, or, or songs... Um, even with the Beatles songs like uh, Tomorrow Never Knows, which wasn't a straight beat. It was something a little different and dynamic. You know, uh, I I really like the song. I did feel it was a little repetitive towards the end. I was kind of like, OK, you know, uh, it felt like a four and a half minute song. And it's interesting because I don't think until it got towards that part, it seemed like everything was going by so fast. And then all of a sudden it was like, OK, OK, OK. You know, it started to drag for me a little bit by that point. But I I really like the vocals on this one. I feel like they were really passionate. Um, I feel like the singer was really into the song, which if you guys remember on our last episode, one of the complaints I had about this genre of music in general was, I'm singing these lyrics because I'm supposed to. And and I, I didn't find a lot of feeling in in the songs because of that Mm. so this is this is one i have to say i really did like um i used a color scheme because i listened to these yesterday but i know i'm not going to remember everything today so i marked this one as green so well done julie (laughs) very cool uh derek this wasn't this wasn't one of your picks but uh is this a song that you like yeah it's a great song it's a great choice um and it's also it's interesting because it's a great choice and it's one that is it's probably one of the more like widely played songs, right? To John's point, this is one that, man, when this came out, this was on rock radio everywhere. And in the, uh, personally, the album that's off of Super Unknown, that is an album that for me, I mean, if the laser in the CD player could have etched, etched a uh, a hole in the CD, that would have been a uh, a CD that it would have etched a hole in. Right? I listened to that album a lot when it came out. So great song, um, and uh, yeah, you know the lyrics are are not deep by any means. It's about this guy that plays mm-hmm. spoons, but it's it's a really interesting song. And I don't know how many other. How many other rock songs are there that have musical spoons in them? That's something for us to look into. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I do a podcast on a, a band that used a kazoo in one of their most popular songs. And you wouldn't think a kazoo in a rock song would be big, but you're right. He used it in The Magician's Birthday and it worked beautifully. <laughs> uh, theremin was also another very big mm. instrument for them. Um, yeah, this, this, I, I think I actually had this CD for some reason. I think it was in the last round of Columbia House, uh, deals that I got, which I, I miss horribly, especially now that I'm collecting vinyl again. Uh, that, those were great days. But yeah, this was a great pick, Julie. I, I have to say, I, I really dug the song. Um, what was their, what was their big hit on this album? The, the other big hit? Um, is the Rusty Cage on this one? No, that was on a different one. It was um, um, Black Hole Sun. Oh, Black Hole Sun. Yeah, that was that, probably yeah. the reason I, one I got with it. Another an yeah. altered tuning. Yeah. Mm. And, and that that had a really interesting guitar tone to it. Yeah. yeah it, 
it it, it was almost like the um the tremolo verb on there mm-hmm. yeah but there was like a, a really weird uh almost overtone to the guitar where it wasn't it wasn't really clear but it wasn't really muddy it had a really bizarre eq to it on top of the tremolo which i really like that sound um just just in general i i thought that sound was very attractive and very unique and you know i the the black hole sun uh thing is an interesting one because what well, like i said that that album i listened to nonstop, loved it when black hole sun then became a hit and was on mtv and on radio everywhere that album kind of fell off my list a bit because it just became so overplayed that it just kind of started to lose some appeal for me. You know, I probably, yeah. that, that is not a song. If I went back and listened to the album now, I would probably just skip over that song because I do not need to hear it a thousandth time, right? I would rather listen <laughs> yeah. to the deeper tracks. Yeah. Well, okay. So this, this is actually a side question I, I'd like to to get your guys' opinion on because on, um, uh, I've been a guest on a show called And the Podcast Will Rock, which is a Van Halen podcast. Mm-hmm. And they do a thumbs up or thumbs down poll. So they mm-hmm. they do their episode. They say, go to Twitter and vote whether you think this is a, a good song or a bad song. And it seems like, you know, like even a song like Jump, which is like a staple for Van Halen. Uh, there were, I think it was 13% of the people voted it down. And I think a lot of it is not, they're not necessarily judging on whether it's a good or bad song, but they're judging on the fact that I'm sick of hearing it because it's been so overplayed. Uh, Are you guys, I'll start with you, John, are you able to separate, and and I could use like Smoke on the Water or Woman for Tokyo, Woman (laughs) for Tokyo is an example, um, or or anything that's sung by Candy Givens, is it... (laughs) <laughs> do, do you, are you still able to separate the oversaturation of a song versus whether you can consider it a good or bad song? I, you, yeah, I think I can, because I've, I've said this um, in the past uh, when this kind of question has come up is it, it really depends on the setting that you're in mm-hmm. um, because um, like I wouldn't put um, smoke on the water on just to listen to it in my house but if it comes on the jukebox in a bar or if a cover band is playing it, then you really get into it because you're feeding off the energy of the room. Everybody collectively knows that song. It's a good song for a reason. It's popular. And you really you get into it. Um, and uh, there was a, there was actually an example from Van Halen the other day. They were they were doing an 80s playing an 80s playlist at work. And, um, you know, I walked into the room and, and uh, Jump was on. And um, I started doing air keyboards on the desk. <laughs> it was like, everybody's like, ah, look at them go. But I mean, you know, would I do that if it came on in my house? No, but it was just because I, I enjoyed hearing it out of context. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, in my, my day-to-day life, it's, it's something that's uh, it's catchy and I enjoy it. Um, it's it's uh, another example I use is when you hear um, uh, Sister Christian in a bar. Um, you you, you that can't, one last night. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, it was, it's one of those ones everybody's doing. Now, now, yeah, now, when you when you're doing the when you're doing the build up to the chorus, does everybody start banging their hands and their feet oh, and everything? Oh yeah, yep. Oh, yeah. Yep. every single time. But but would you do that if you were in the car? Maybe if you had a few other people. But I mean, on your own. Um, so yeah, the point being is is that yeah, I think that I can separate it, but it depends on the the mindset and the situation that you're in. That makes sense. And and uh, that was Night Ranger, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Do you remember, Julie, mm-hmm. when they when they did their comeback gig at the Air Force Academy Chili Cook-Off? No, I didn't go. Were you there? 
Uh, I didn't. I, that was when I had just started working at ProSound in uh, in Colorado Springs, and uh, they had announced the show like on my first day, and oh my and it was kind of the talk of the of the store because uh, I thought, boy, I mean, a chili cook-off, you guys are really going for it. <laughs> it's uh, like Final Tap and Puppet Show. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, how about you, Julie? Because you you perform a lot and you're doing a lot of songs uh, repetitively. So I yeah. mean, a song like Sister Christian, where I mean, maybe you like the song, maybe you don't like the song, but there has to be a little bit of wear if it's not one of your favorites and you you're it's on your playlist to do it every gig. Well, you know, you're probably asking the wrong person because as a musician, as a guitar player, I really have to play a solo 40,000 times to get it down, you know? Mm -hmm. So I really don't get sick of songs. If I'm not attracted to a song in the beginning, sometimes it's kind of off-putting to hear it over and over again. But in this day and age, it's not the radio that I'm listening. I'm listening to spotify a playlist that's maybe curated for me mm-hmm. so i don't know i just don't find myself doing things and i when i was playing with fast times i joined them in 2018 or maybe 2017 and we were playing friday and saturday and they have spent the last 15 years curating this playlist of mm-hmm. songs that go over and turn the crowd into a frenzy so it's pretty much the same list every time and maybe i just get the feedback of the everybody into it it's so exciting and it's 80s i'm reliving my childhood (laughs) Mm -hmm. that you know i feel like a good song is a good song and i'm always going to appreciate it the the one song i always had a hard time playing was plush because it's as a drummer it's such a slow song and it's a really patient song and as a drummer it's hard to get through a song that long playing that slow yeah you know, uh, Derek, how about you? I, you know, I just hearing everyone talk about it. And I think it's really interesting. John's answer around smoke in the water, I think is spot on, right? Like a great song, right? Absolutely. Classic song. Would I be like, I'm going to play it in my living room right now? Probably not, but hearing it in the right setting. And certainly like, I feel like there's certain classic rock songs that being able to hear it live is like a bucket list moment, right? Being able to hear Smoke in the Water played live, bucket list, you know, mm-hmm. Paranoid by Black Sabbath and like so on and so forth. I think also the whole like big fan, like big fan of a band versus the popularity thing is resonates with me so much. I mean, I've seen, I'm a huge Aerosmith fan. I've seen them live 13 times it's been a while since i've seen them but now that i've seen them 13 times i to be honest with you i like i listen i don't need to hear dream on and walk this way again live not that i don't like the songs and if you haven't seen them play live you should go see aerosmith and see them play it live right that's cool but if i'm going to go see a concert from them i want to hear some other stuff Right. I want to hear some some deeper track songs. I want to hear stuff I haven't played before that I haven't heard them play before. Um, not that I won't enjoy the hits, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just different, I think, when you're a big fan. Whereas if you're just a casual fan, you've never seen Deep Purple before, you've never heard, you know, never seen um Aerosmith play before. If you show up and all that they do is play deep tracks, you're gonna go home and be like, What what just happened? I, I came here to hear smoke on the water 
in the meantime, there's some hardcore fans somewhere that are like, that is the best show I've ever seen from them ever. Right. <laughs> right? Well, and, and I, I remember uh, Ian Gillen talking about going to see Paul McCartney and he said he had just come out with a new album and he just played the entire new album. He didn't do any songs that Ian knew. And he wasn't very familiar with the new album. So it was a really difficult and not enjoyable show because you have to mix it up. You have to have certain songs that you're, you have to play. They have to do Sweet Emotion. You know, they're not right. going to get out of a show without doing Sweet Emotion. Uh, and then the other people, people like you that are really familiar with the band. Okay, time to go to the bathroom or time to go right. get a, another <laughs> beer or something. Uh, but it's it's really tough when you've had that big of a history to go out and, and pick your set list. I think that's got to be one of the biggest challenges. And uh, for you guys, uh, Julie's uh, YouTube channel is in the show notes. Go check out. She's got some great solos. There's a great version of her doing Comfortably Numb on that channel, which I have watched uh, many times. Great stuff to enjoy. Um of course, yeah. Uh, our second song on the list picked by Julie is called Crown of Thorns. And this is by Mother Love Bone, which is a band I had never heard of. Uh, John, what were your thoughts on that one? Um, th- This was uh, less what I expected. Um, so it was um, it was a bit of a curveball. Um, I mean, I've heard of them, but I don't think I've really heard their stuff. Um, my first impressions were that it was, um, the song didn't really go anywhere, so it didn't do anything for me. Like it just seemed to kind of stay in the same, uh, very repetitive, um, uh, lane there. But, um, I did think that the, the vocals were very, um, you know, they, they were kind of like Ozzy-esque a little bit, you know, they kind of like, I could picture maybe like Ozzy singing them. Um, I don't know if he had any influence on the singer. And, um, I thought that the, uh, the guitar solo was, uh, kind of a good, bluesy or blues based uh, guitar solo um but other than that the song overall uh just was uh one of those that just kind of overall didn't do anything for me because like i said it was just kind of a little bit repetitive um didn't really uh build up or have too many dynamics in it okay derek what do you think of this one you know it's funny uh i i always think of mother love bone it's not a perfect um analogy but and someone will yell at me because it's not quite perfect, but I'll use it anyway. But I, I feel like Mother Love Bone was a little bit like Yardbirds um, of the of the grunge scene in terms of they had their moment, but then really the band members had bigger moments after they broke up because um, they went on most a couple of them went into Pearl Jam and stuff, and they just like they kind of started this thing, right? Um, I and it's interesting because it's it's not necessarily a band that I will go and listen to, but I always I enjoy what I listen to. I like the song and that type of stuff. But it's I've listened to Mother Love Bone more from a I like the band that came from them and the sound that came from them. So I listen to them to understand because I think if you were at the early part of the scene, they are incredibly important. <laughs> to the scene right and so uh i like the song um but and i'm familiar with it but um it's not one it's not a band that i always go back and listen to regularly (laughs) well and sometimes those moments are are the most important it's not whether uh, a particular band was successful or not but it's like what things led to that wouldn't have happened if that band or that project hadn't happened you know, uh, to, to use an example again from Deep Purple, uh, Jolyn Turner, a lot of people say, uh, you know, that was a terrible album for Deep Purple, Slaves and Masters. But without that album, they might not have stayed together to go on and do the Battle Rages on and all the stuff they've done now. So I look at those situations as uh, they they may not have been the, the most ideal to people in general, but without those other great things wouldn't have happened. 
Um, for me, the song was okay. Um, it felt more, and, and I guess I, I wanted to find the difference between alternative and grunge because I know that, that they're similar, but they're they're different to me. Um, it, it felt a little Led Zeppelin-esque. Um, I wasn't a fan of the vocals, but I really did like the bass guitar tone. I liked the ride. Uh, the flange on the ride cymbal was nice. Uh, I thought the performance was really good. Um, but uh, it was like uh, three minutes and 44 seconds before the song changed. So it did drag uh, a bit for me. I was looking for like some other part to come in there to to kind of liven it up for me a little bit. Um, but yeah, it, it was okay. It wasn't a song I would probably listen to again or, or crave listening to, but I did find definitely find some good things in it. Um, why did you pick this one, Julie? What was What's the, the specialty for, for you for this song? Well, um, for me, I chose it because of the historical significance of this band, because Andrew Wood, the singer, he actually passed away just days before this album came out. And they were basically just scheduled to be to rise to the top, you know, and uh, pretty much the the area, the Seattle area was rocked by his death and he died of a heroin overdose I just think the the performance is really heartfelt. It has this real melancholy, you know, the the whole grunge vibe. Some of it really does get melancholy. But, you know, mm-hmm. I think being around there after his death and then what came from that, you know, everybody reformed and, you know, kept it sure. going. And, and as a reminder to the audience, Julie was living in Seattle as a guitar player at the time all this was going down, which is one of the reasons I reached out to you, because I thought, you know, for somebody who was living there in the heart of all of this, uh, you would have a pretty unique perspective. And of course you have. And I um, wasn't playing grunge. <laughs> right. Well, right, right. But but you were you were in that environment. I was in which, it. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. Um, let's... Um, and I'll start with you, Derek. Let, let's kind of define the difference between grunge and alternative. Is it really just the distortion of it? Is it, you know, like the, the grunge is more like the hard rock versus the lighter rock, which would be alternative? Yeah, I think there's probably I, that's a really interesting question of what's the technical definition or the di- technical difference between it. I feel like grunge uh, feels like a little bit more of that scene type of thing that probably had something to do with geographic location, right? Pacific Northwest probably had something to do with the look of the feel of the bands in terms of, yes, you know, the, the flannel and all that type of stuff. And probably just a little bit on the heavier side, right? Whereas some of the alternative bands that were coming out might've been just doing something, you know, not as heavy, not as rock orientated, could have been more influenced by folk or pop or some other things like that, or maybe a little bit more uh, techno and and using electronic music and that type of stuff. But um, yeah, I think of grunge is probably a combination of that look and feel, the geographic location, and then that sound of being just a, a little bit more ground, grounded in that heavy metal. <laughs> That that makes sense, and and Julie's nodding her head, so I see the agreement there. Uh, so our next song is called uh, "Nearly Lost You There" by a band called Screaming Trees. It comes in at four minutes and seven seconds. Uh, I'll go first on this one. Uh, I thought the drums were really cool. I thought that uh, musically it had some really good energy. Um, I I like the sound of the lead guitar, but it got kind of um, after a little while, it got kind of old. 
you know, I, I wanted like just some other, again, some other change. And remember that I'm, I'm coming from growing up on bands that had a lot of changes, a lot of parts you would do, you know, the verse would be very different from the chorus. There'd be different breakdowns or solo sections or whatever, uh, sometimes six or seven parts to a song. So for me to have um, a lot more just straightforward uh, songwriting was a little bit difficult for me. Um, but I, I really did. Uh, I really did like the the sound of the guitar. There was just too much of it for me. Um, maybe to switch tones in in different spots would have been good. Um, the vocals. This is an example of what I didn't like about this era, and kind of my impression of it was I didn't like the vocals on it. Um, I felt like they were just really emotionless and dry, and um, that to me was a representative of why I came into this, uh, you know, this roundtable with the perception that I had of this style of music. Uh, so this was a great example. So uh, before I get John's thoughts, uh, Julie, why did you pick this one? Um, I just picked it because I liked it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. It's one of those ones that, um, again, listening to it all the, uh, over and over, I was working at Tower Records at the time and... It just kind of rose up. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. John, what did you think of this one? Um, I think the the overall song uh, didn't really make uh, too much of an impression on me. I think it was this one and the previous one were probably the the two that were just kind of like I didn't have much of it, uh, too much of an opinion on, except. Um, I did note that the uh, the guitar fills uh, kind of reminded me of like Cream era Eric Clapton, um, which after thinking that I did a little research and um, the uh, the guitar player um, Gary Lee Connor um, had cited 60s psychedelia and psychedelic rock as something that he listened a lot to. So it made sense that that reflected in his style. So I, I kind of thought that that was uh, uh, something cool that I picked up on. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, Derek, what do you think of this one? I, I, it's a great song. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a, a throwback song for me. Like I uh, said before, it's a, uh, always forget a little bit about Screaming Trees and always like it when I he uh, hear them, hear a song. Um, I find it really interesting, Scott, that your, your, your take on the vocals, because I have such a, like, literally the opposite take on the vocals. Okay. That for me the way he sings that and hearing the lyrics behind it feels actually quite full of like longing and passion mm. and that it is, it's, you know, he's coming from a place of I don't know, sadness, again, sadness, longing, whatever. And like that emptiness of, and that ties in with the lyrics of the song um, for me. And so, I don't know. I, I, I like the way the song sounds. I love the riff. Um, uh, I think it's one that begs to be turned up really loud as well. Um, and I can see where uh, hearing it in a record store while working there, uh, a whole bunch can would definitely get in your head. So yeah, it is. It's a good choice. <laughs> I, I will say that I would imagine on stage, this song could really yeah. really be performed to to an incredible peak um i i didn't care so much for the studio version but i i would think that live they could really do something with this song and and take it to another level uh you know and and you know especially anybody who's played in front of a crowd and knows how to feed off of that crowd energy could you know really bring out something great in the song um our next one is called wood which is uh, W-O-U-L-D, not W-O-O-D, big difference. Uh, and it is by uh, a little band called Allison Chains. And when I first heard this, uh, it reminded me immediately of something. And so I had to go and, and fact check it. 
And it turns out that I am familiar with Alice in Chains. <laughs> Glad you're all seated when I sprung <laughs> that on you. Uh, they did a song called Got Me Wrong that was on the Clerks soundtrack, which mm. is uh, a movie that I absolutely love. Kind of lived part of that, working at 7-Eleven <laughs> in Denver for a while and then Colorado Springs. Um that movie really resonated with with me. Um, but uh, they did a song on there called Got Me Wrong, which I very, very much like. I really like their sound. Um, I really dug this song. Um, I I love the the bass and the percussive opening. I think that's that just right off the bat, the song just grabbed me. And then, uh, of course, when the vocals came in, that was when I was like, wait a minute. This sounds familiar. And that's when I went and checked the Clerks soundtrack. Um I like that it's another pattern on the toms too. It had a really nice groove. The the vocals and the backups were really good. Um, this was a thumbs up for me on this one. Uh, Derek, what do you think about this one? Uh, you know, it's interesting. I one of the songs that I picked was off the same album, and it, it, I I don't know if there's you know between Pearl Jam ten, um, Nirvana Nevermind, and Alice in Chains Dirt. I don't know if there's three more genre defining albums <laughs> for, mm-hmm. for 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 grunge than those three. Um, I'm a huge Alice in Chains fan. It is um, actually a, one of the few bands I'm a big fan of that I've never seen live um, and um, feel really bad that I will never be able to see the original lineup and stuff. And so it, it's um, a great song, great album, uh, love. And it's and it's interesting. I think it's a really good um personification or a good example of what a lot of people think of grunge in terms of just being this low heavy song um yeah good choice <laughs> i would agree with that john what yeah. do you think this is um this is another track that i have heard before um so i'm i was familiar with it but to to sit down and um, and uh, intentionally listened to it. Uh, some of my impressions were um, the the bass line, which was really, uh, really good. But that and the whole song kind of had this this haunting quality to it, mm. um, which is the best way that I can describe it. Um, the um, the the vocals were really powerful. I think uh, Lane Staley was another um, uh, vocalist of that genre that I mm. liked a lot more. Um, than some of the others. Um, and uh, one of the things that I always kind of thought, but I, uh, it was kind of back here, but um, I intentionally thought about it was the ending. The way they ended the song was really jarring, but really effective. Like I thought it was a really, it was just a really great ending because it just kind of, it's almost like it, those, uh, like the, the ending episode of Law and Order SVU, it just like the credits roll after that last scene when somebody's just like, ah, and you're just like, no more. <laughs> I want more. I have no resolution. And that was really, uh, that I think that kind of tied the song together really well because it had this kind of haunting quality to it. And then that kind of dissonant note they ended on was just kind of like, ooh, you know, you didn't get a really a resolution that made you feel comfortable. So I thought that was yeah. very, very cool and intentional. That's, that's a great point. I'd forgotten to make a note about the ending. It, it was very impactful. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that's a, that's the sign of a, a great song is something that makes you want to just put it right back on as soon as it's over and go, okay, I need to hear that again, even though you've just heard it. And there's 11 other songs on the album that you could listen to. Uh, Julie, what's the significance of this one for you? Well, again, I'm the same. I love Alice in Chains. Yeah. I remember even right before I left Seattle, um, the man in the box was rising up. Yeah. And then I heard this song. 
I do believe it is from a soundtrack, maybe. Oh. I, was it on Dirt? It, it was, was on Dirt, yeah, but it might have been on a soundtrack, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just remember hearing that bass line thinking, oh, my gosh, what is this? And then mm. just a few months ago, I heard the isolated vocal tracks. Mm. You can probably find them on YouTube. I can't believe the amount of passion that he put into those yeah. track. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. So, Do you know yeah. what the song is about? <laughs> Um, it, I don't it, know. Jerry Cantrell wrote it. Yeah, Cantrell wrote it, and it's actually about drug rehab. Um, and it's oh. actually it ties back to the Andrew Wood thing from Mother Love Bone that Cantrell wrote it about his about his death and, and about Stanley going through drug rehab, which he eventually died from yes. um, drug overdose, and and actually talking about the stigma of drug abuse and drug addiction and people that would judge Wood for for using drugs and stuff. So, I mean, it's interesting. So many of the songs that are dark in this era were really, right. That was kind of the, the dark underpinning, I think of, of the grunge scene of the heroin use and the drug use and stuff. And so, yeah, this is a, when you called it out, John, the the lyrics on here are pretty heavy, not just the music, but the lyrics are as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's definitely a good song. Um, I think we're all in agreement on that one. Uh, Julie's last pick uh, was a song that uh, I actually knew, believe it or not. Um, It was kind of hard to escape because this song was absolutely everywhere. Uh, Pearl Jam's Even Flow coming in at just under five minutes. It does not feel like a five minute song. I mean, this song really moves. It's got a great groove to it. Uh, it, It's interesting because the the singer for Pearl Jam, I don't like his voice in in general. He's one of the ones that I kind of feel like that was an emotionless kind of droll singer, but he really brought something on this song that really resonated with me. It's a, it's more up-tempo. It's got a lot more passion in the vocal for me. And uh, I, I think this song is, is a killer song. Uh, what do you think of it, Derek? You're, you're nodding your head in agreement there. Yeah. And I, I think this is a, a great example where great song and, uh, it feels very connected to their influences from more from like the the Van Halen Aerosmith kind of like the the arena rock classic rock type of stuff right i mean it is it's a it's a song that could fill an arena right and would also sound good in a club and that type of stuff so yeah it's a um good song um 10 is one of my favorite albums of all time so just about anything off of there will will get my nod but um yeah, it feels like one that really does connect back to its influences really, really well. Nice. Julie, what, what was the uh, the inspiration for this song going on your list? Um, there's so much contrast in it. Again, it's an uh, the riff is on an altered tuning. Mm-hmm. I can't remember, recall what it is right now. But I love these long lines like freezing and then this line of rest his head on a pillow made of concrete like you get all these syllables in on the next line and then another long phrase with the short phrases and then when you get to the chorus it just lifts it up i don't know it's powerful performance awesome musicianship it's just got so many good things you, you know, you bring up a really good point about the vocals because it is it is patient and then impatient and then patient and impatient. Yeah. And uh, there's a, a spot on this is going to be a really weird comparison, but I'm known for that. This is there's a if you're driving from Phoenix to Vegas, there is a spot in the road where they recommend that you turn off your air conditioner because you'll you'll vapor lock the car. 
And there's just yeah. this like a, a short up and then this down and then a short up and this down again. And it very much feels like the flow of the lyrics in the verse of yeah. this song. Mm-hmm. Um, usually my references are food references. I don't know why I came up with a road <laughs> one this time. Uh, but I do like that. I, I like the variety of it because instead of it just be line after line after line delivered, there's something completely different and unique, even though it's a pattern. It's a really interesting one. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, John, what were your thoughts on this one? Um, again, this is another one that I was really familiar with. Um, I, I think it, um, aside from maybe some Nirvana, like I feel like this is one of, um, uh, their early hits or something that I remember <laughs> just hearing first about this new music called grunge or alternative when I was in high school. Um, so I don't know if it was a, um, I'm, it was a single off this album, right? I'm sure it was, yeah. Yeah, pretty yeah. sure it was, yeah. I don't know if it was the first one or whatever, but I remember this feeling like this is one of the kind of the first yeah. hits or whatever. Um mm-hmm. but um but um again, sitting down and listening to it, um I uh, definitely agree that it was uh, it was catchy. Um definitely um why it's probably stuck in my head for so long. Mm-hmm. Uh because I don't really think or never really thought of this style of music as being catchy or poppy, but I did hear that this time. Um, and that there were, um, I thought there were good guitar parts in it. Um, I thought it was a great guitar solo, um, which um, I never really paid much attention to uh, Mike McCready. But, um, you know, again, I, you know, heard of him. And um, uh, again, looking into it, um, uh, 70s players such as uh, Hendrix, Keith Richards uh, had uh, influenced this playing as well as uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Eddie Van Halen. So it's, um, I, I could hear that a little bit more. Um in in this solo plus it was um you know uh i just i thought it was good i liked it um the the one thing that i didn't like though is um i definitely can identify that uh eddie vetter is is one of the vocalists that i don't really enjoy that much um i i think that he's the one that i associate the the kind of uh if you're if you're making fun of grunge singers you kind of imitate him (laughs) um type of things and 100 yeah he's like a template for that and i and i listened to it with an open mind and it wasn't like uh, it wasn't terrible but i would say he's probably he's probably my least favorite of the vocalists of this selection of songs um uh, i just i just don't enjoy him as much yeah and and like i said i i don't typically care for his voice i think on this song he sounded really good i i don't think he has a bad voice let me clarify that i think the the tonal qualities of his voice are very good very strong very solid singer i don't like his singing style for a lot of the stuff that i've heard from this band Uh, but on this song i really dug it i would imagine this was in heavy rotation at tower records oh yeah the whole album (laughs) When I first started working there, someone came in and said, is the new Pearl Jam album out? And I was like, who's Pearl Jam? (laughs) (laughs) And then all of a sudden, it's everywhere. I do have to say, though, his lyrics are beautiful. Mm -hmm. He really, he knows how to write good melodies. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, And on the production side, I think this is a beautifully mixed song. There, there's nothing as an audio engineer, I, I can listen to the song and go, I would not change a thing. I think the balance is absolutely perfect. So I don't, I don't know if there were any awards won or any, uh, any kudos to the audio engineer, but I, I'm just going to give a props to them right now because they did a great job. Uh, so thank you, Julie. That was your list. Uh, very good picks. Uh, it really, it really was a, a, a well-rounded, I think, um, representation. So uh, I, I think that gave me a, a really good jump into the uh, the arena of this. 
moving on to whatever Derek has done to us here. Um, <laughs> starting with the Smashing Pumpkins, uh, at eight minutes and 42 seconds, he kicks off with a marathon song <laughs> called Silverfuck. Um which the the visuals just on that title alone are really bizarre in my head. I haven't slept since I heard the song. Um, what what was uh, what made you pick this one? You know, uh, so for me, this is uh, I'm not a huge um, uh, Smashing Pumpkins fan, but this album is definitely a classic from that era, and this has always been one of my favorite songs off of that album. Um, it's it's long, yes, but it's also got all these bits and pieces to it that I've always found really interesting. Um, that kind of part towards kind of a little bit towards the end, middle to the end part where it gets really quiet and then he kind of comes out of it in this like kind of this big shouting rain rage and like the music gets so much heavier and faster. I just have always thought it was an uh, 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 interesting song to listen to. And I'll be honest with you, I was also thinking about when I picked the song, I was like, kind of know that like Scott and John like songs with complexity to it or and stuff. And it came to mind. So I was like, what the heck I'm going to put it out there and see what happens. Right. And, and it definitely is one of those that I like. Um, I'm not going to say it's the, their best song or whatever it is, but it's a deep track that I've always enjoyed. <laughs> Interesting. Julie, is this yeah. one that you were familiar with? No, I wasn't familiar with it. And I didn't listen to much smashing pumpkins. I have to say, Billy Corgan, is that his name? Yeah. Yeah. He he's one of the vocalists that is not my favorites, but this one does have a lot of um contrast and uh, yeah. neat things happening in it. Yeah. Interesting. John, what were your thoughts on this one? So this started off the playlist. Um <laughs> so, so let me qualify by uh, Derek and I have known each other for 35 years. Yep. Okay, so I open up the I open up the playlist. I'm like, okay, eight first song, eight minute long song called <laughs> Silver Fuck. And I'm just like, boy, Derek's really going for it here. This is really on brand for him. He just really likes to stir the pot. <laughs> I'm like, this is so Derek. It's just like he's trying to he's trying to make a statement of instead of just putting on smells like teen spirit or something like that. So I appreciated that. <laughs> um but um, but yeah, I I'd heard some Smashing Pumpkins uh, a little bit. Um, this is definitely I I assumed this was a deep track, and um, it was what I my impressions of it was. Um, I had to listen to it a couple of times because the first one I was just like, oh boy, this is I got to have a seat <laughs> for after and to regroup. Um, but it was um, it was really heavy riff, um, uh, tribal beat. Uh, very dynamic song. Um, I uh, we talk a lot about, um, um, or I've talked a lot about how songs these days don't have as many aren't recorded with as many dynamics as they were in the past. And seeing as that this one was, you know, uh, thirty some odd years ago, it had that that really heavy. But then you know they they brought it down and did that really quiet part. Um, it just um, the the song overall had this epic quality, like this huge wall of sound type of quality which was mostly i think attributed to the the guitars um and probably the production too but um even though the the riff wasn't um uh, overly complex or anything like that it just really it really hit me you know so it was um it was something that i would probably um 
listen to again, believe it or not, um, because it even was an eight minute long song <laughs> that by Smashing Pumpkins. Um, and um, uh, Billy Corgan definitely has had um, a um, distinctive voice, uh, kind of kind of nasally and droning, but it honestly doesn't bother me that much, uh, believe it or not. Maybe because it's just a, you know, you put a heavy enough song out there, I'll, I'll listen to it. So, but, um, but yeah, I appreciated the, 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 the epicness and the dynamics of that this song brought. Um, that's the kind of thing that I like in a song. Interesting. Uh, I, I too looked at the time and went, okay, let's see what we're getting into <laughs> this, this, this better hold my attention. Uh, I thought the the opening was really exciting. Uh, I thought there was some great energy in the song. Um, I did not like the vocals. Uh, the, the The thing that I wrote was the singer can't enunciate, and it was just like a, a just like he was. He his mouth was full of cotton, and that's not usually a good sound for a, for a vocalist. I didn't care for that. Um, I thought that the build was nice, but I thought it was just like this immense wall of sound that it wasn't anything I could really define or enjoy or pick an instrument to listen to. It was just like this wall of sound rushing at me. And anyone who's lived in Phoenix for a while and has been through a haboob and and knows what it's like for a giant wall of dirt to just come and take over your world, this was the audio version of that. It just kind of felt like it was coming at me. I could see it coming, see it coming, and all of a sudden I was just in it and couldn't see anything. Um, the, the bang, bang, you're dead part. Um, that that was it was cool at the beginning, but that reverse reverb part just kind of went on a, a very long time for me. Uh, I, I thought that the song um, and then just all of a sudden it's like then you're back in the studio and it feels really dry. So it's like you're you're in this really alive environment and all of a sudden you're just like thrown into a tiny hotel room. And it, it, the the feeling of the the atmosphere is just so completely different. I wasn't sure whether I liked that change or didn't like that change. I couldn't really determine one way or another. I'm like, this is just so drastically different that I really feel out of place now. And again, I, I'm also listening as an audio engineer because that that's something that's really going to hit me. Um, overall, I, I thought that the the quiet part just kind of went on for too long and then it just went nowhere after that. So for me, um, I, I didn't really enjoy the song. It's hard to hold my attention for that long. Um, I thought there were a couple of cool changes in it, but overall the song just didn't really hit for me, but it's interesting because I can listen to a song like Salisbury by Uriah Heep, which is uh, just over 16 minutes and feel like that song was three minutes long. And, you know, my my friendship with with Mick Box aside, that is some of the best guitar solos I've ever heard in my life. I could listen to those over and over again, all three of them, and and just be like, I got to hear them again, uh, which actually happened the other day. But uh, yeah, so this song just didn't really didn't really hit for me. Um, our next one, though, goes back to Alice in Chains, which I which I do like. And this song is called Them Bones in quite contrast. This is a very short song. This is only two minutes and 33 seconds. And I have to say, I wanted more. Like, as soon as it was done, I'm like, no, no. P- tell me that you're just stopping for a second. And I didn't really see the file was that short because it, it was such a good song. And maybe that's part of it. Maybe having like this, just come in, make your point and get out is part of the attraction of it because it leaves you longing for something that you enjoy. Almost if somebody cuts you a slice of pie, that's just too small <laughs> and you feel cheated. Uh, John, what were your thoughts on this one? This is, um, this is, uh, the first one from this list that I 
familiar with. I've heard it a lot um, because it was played on the the radio um, quite a bit. I don't know if it was a single um, or a video, um, but um, I definitely like the uh, the kind of the heavy um, um, ascending riff. The um, that was uh, the 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 staple of the uh, the song, and especially like in the in the verse and everything, where he's letting those uh, detone, uh, detuned, uh, kind of notes just ring out while he's, uh, singing over it. Um, the, the solo is definitely, uh, just really cutting cuts through the mix and it's very melodic. So it's, uh, I guess, I, I guess I like Jerry Cantrell. Um, I'm going to have to check out more of his stuff. Um, and, um, again, uh, Lane, Lane Staley, uh, puts out another good, uh, vocal performance. So I think I've identified a couple of, uh, grunge singers that I, uh, that I that I like, and I, even though I've heard this one before, um, like I said, I was listening with a more critical ear. So, um, yeah, and um, and uh, again, when I'm thinking about the the guitar solos and everything, I always thought this was the era of like no guitar solos yeah. uh, because that was one of the things oh. is just like oh, no, yeah. oh they were <laughs> abandoning solos, and I, I think there was a lot of music where they didn't. They were just kind of yeah. like maybe more of the the raw or the punkish type of grunge uh the because this this seems to be more like uh, accessible um maybe some of the stuff that my friends or people i was hanging around with uh were listening to were uh, kind of uh, a little bit less because i remember especially and i mean this could have been propaganda too and i was reading like guitar world and stuff like that they're talking about the the death of like the the ingves and the the van halens and uh steve vies and uh the the either either no solos or very simplistic solos and um uh, from what I've heard is, is like this stuff is uh, definitely not, uh, you know, they're not doing sweep arpeggios, but I mean, you know, that's it doesn't doesn't by any mean uh, mean that they're they're not good and they're not catchy um, and that these aren't good players. So um, this is this is one of those that I was just like, yeah, I can I can groove to this. I, I enjoy this because I never really sat down and listened to the uh, the guitar solo in this song or really paid much attention to it. And I'm like, yeah, I could I could groove on this. Nice. Julie, how about you? Oh, man, I love this song. <laughs> that intro riff is just killer. And then the hook of gonna end up a big old pile of them bones. Mm-hmm. That just sticks with you. It's so easy to sing. It's a pentatonic melody. I think I I love Lane Staley's range. He can sing really low. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think coming out of the 80s, there were so many bands, ah, you know, and mm-hmm. I do love that too. But here he is singing this gonna end up a big old pile you know very cool well, well that's a really good point because this was a uh an era where singers were really finding those lower darker tones to sing in uh and you're right the 80s were a lot more mid and upper range you know trying to but but the 80s were also a lot happier there were songs that were just fun a lot less political um a lot less statements about society and just more i'm gonna write a song about cake and getting away with it, you know, like you could not get away with the kind of stuff that people were writing about in the eighties now, because people just wouldn't, they wouldn't pay attention. Um, so that they were much more lighthearted songs, you know? Um, but yeah, uh, Derek, why did you pick this one? I mean, obviously we all liked it, but honestly, I picked it for all the reasons that you said you like it, right? It is, it's, it's a, it's a great tune with this great riff. Um, the the chorus is incredibly catchy while still maintaining that that heaviness um i just in the lyrics themselves i I don't know it just you could take the same lyrics and turn it into a a 
a sad country ballad you could turn it into a whatever right like it's it's kind of got this universal theme to it um mm. but it's it's such a strong song and that that opening sound of it is i mean is there's actually a an instagram mm. uh account that i follow that talks about like <laughs> getting scared by that opening blast of sound at random places <laughs> back, <laughs> back in the nineties when you weren't expecting it. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a great song. And I, that's why I picked it for all those reasons. It felt like, again, a really interesting tie back to those seventies, um, eighties uh, inspired band moments and stuff with uh, being riff orientated while still reflecting everything that wrench was. <laughs> Well, you bring up an interesting point, and Julie, I'll ask you as a songwriter and somebody who teaches songwriting, maybe you'll have a, a perspective on this. Is it harder to work with these darker, lower tones, but still come up with something that's catchy? Because it oh, seems like catchy, you usually yeah. think light and bouncy and happy and catchy. Uh, with darker tones, I usually think more of like, okay, we're going to listen to this song. And and it's it's harder to uh, get into it a little bit more. Maybe that's just my own taste, but but you're you're you seem to disagree. I disagree. I think that a hook is just going to be something that's memorable. Mm-hmm. I mean, just think of the uh, the man in the box. I mean, we can all sing it, and then there's that. I'm the man in a box. I mean, you just have these things that um, stand out. And then with the repetition, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes we think the grunge is just out there in its own thing, but there's there's standard songwriting hit tools that they're employing. Sure. They've got hooks, they've got rhymes, they've got um, these memorable parts. They lift up to a chorus, you know, and sometimes it's just with the drop D. Mm-hmm. Excellent it's point. Come across as a as a, something that grabs the listener. That is a great point. Uh, I'm going to have to work on that and see if I can come up with some things that uh, that are catchier in those darker. I don't write a lot of that stuff anymore, so it'll be interesting to see. Um, our next song is by a little known band called Stone Temple Pilots. Who mm-hmm. uh, now this song I've heard of Stone Temple Pilots. I know that I I played a song of theirs and didn't remember it was theirs. But uh, Cracker Man was not a song I was familiar with. Um, I thought that the mix on this one was a little difficult for me. I thought that that talk box sound um, was a little bit much, and uh, it was buried a little bit too much in the mix. So it had the talk box sound, which is harder to decipher than a straight vocal, and then it was buried in the mix a little. So it was even harder to decipher what was going on. Um, but I did like the fact that um, the the guitar... Uh, I like the performance of the guitar. I didn't like the tone. It was very screechy and I don't like that that screechy sound. I remember when um when Steve Morse joined Deep Purple and there was a song uh called Soon Forgotten. And the song starts out with these uh really screechy sounds and I hated it. And I thought, oh, please don't tell me that their new guitar player is going to sound like this on every song. Because I, I I grew into it eventually, but that song was the one that was kind of cringy for me because I really hate that squeal sound. And there was a lot of that on this song. So it's going to be hard to win me over if I don't like the main sound of the song. Um, it was okay. I thought that it sounded good, but there really wasn't much there for me to dig into. It was almost a little too straightforward for my taste. Um, why did you pick this one? Uh, I actually... 
actually picked it because I thought it was uh, I, I, I thought it would appeal to kind of the heavier side of any hair metal fan. Um, I know actually I think John and I exchanged some text messages after he listened to this one and uh, just talking about like I feel like if Stone Temple Pilots had probably started just a few years earlier, they probably could have just ended up getting killed by grunge themselves. Right. Or if they had been from somewhere else, like they definitely, cause they actually weren't, I think they were actually from Los Angeles or something like that, or somewhere else they weren't from, from the Seattle area. And I do think it has a sound that, um, while Stone Temple Pilot is, the pilots are definitely that kind of classic um, grunge band. They got heavier as time went on. And I thought the song felt more in that, um, in that hair metal ish type of range with, uh, with a great groove to it. Um, I've always, I always kind of liked that, uh, that vocal box effect in the song and stuff. And it's always been one of my favorite songs off of the album, which the rest of the more well-known songs in that album got played to death in the era. Um, and so I like that kind of deep track nature of this. And I thought it was a, a good catchy track. <laughs> okay. John, what were your thoughts on this one? Um, I noted that um, it was a um, uh, catchy riff, uh, good vocal melodies, um, but um, other than that, it didn't um, didn't have too much of a uh, leave too much of an impression on me. Uh, meaning that uh, I, I didn't think it was a bad song. I just thought it was um, it, it was just okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm I'm sure that there were other, and I mean, I've I've heard other um, uh, Stone Temple Pilots songs and. Um, um, so I know that they, I thought that they were pretty, pretty good or okay, but, um, you know, I would say this one is probably, um, more on the, uh, the average side, um, for me, but I did think it was catchy though. I did note that it was, um, it was catchy. Nice. Julie, what are your thoughts on this one, especially uh, on the guitar sound? You know, I love the guitar riff. And as I was looking up Stone Temple Pilots, I didn't really know a lot of their songs. I mean, I knew Vaseline. And maybe because they're from California, Mm -hmm. I didn't realize they had so many hits. But when I listened to it, I thought, this is like a pop song. But then he's singing with that kind of grungy sound, you know, the lower register. Um, It's it's a good pop song. You know, it doesn't have that dark um, kind of vibe, the melancholy, the thing. But it has cool rhymes. It has cool... Mm -hmm little melodic hooks and neat neat things that kind of grab your attention it seems happier maybe Hmm. what do you guys think did it seem like a happy tune i would say so yeah in comparison to some of the others for sure yeah 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 Yeah, that's uh that yeah that's one thing that i i I would kind of found through listening to all this was that there was stuff that was a lot more catchy or poppy i guess you could say than i really was anticipating or that i thought there was in this uh, kind of music. Yeah. And before the hate mail starts coming in, I grew to love Steve Morse. Uh, I think he's a fantastic player. I uh, had the pleasure of meeting him very briefly at the NAM show a few years ago. Um, I'm, I'm very glad to see that he's doing a couple of shows uh, coming up here. Uh, nice to see him get back out and play again. Uh, hopefully he'll be able to record something and put out another album of, of whether it's the Steve Morse band or, or Dixie Dregs or something before too much longer. Cause uh, he's such a talented and creative guy. I, I hate to not see him playing. Um, 
So the next song on our list, uh, as we we round down uh, Derek's list here, is by Pearl Jam. This was a song. Now I, I know Pearl Jam, of course. I did not know the song "Rearview Mirror." Uh, I thought the opening riff was really cool. I thought it sounded killer when the band jumped in. For some reason, though, um, this this song had a '50s vibe to me. And I don't know if it was just the guitar riff or or what it was, but it really had like it was capturing that old school sound mm-hmm. a little bit. And uh, I thought the build was great for a song that's almost five minutes. It did not get boring at all. It really held my attention the whole time, uh, which I I really enjoyed. Uh, John, what did you think of this one? Um. So, um, um because it's Eddie Vedder, I think it, it might have it might have lost me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um. I. I. Um. I thought that the um to my earlier point the the chorus was very uh poppy. I thought it it felt like it was very poppy or accessible which uh, you know again I wasn't really expecting. Mm-hmm. Uh so I was kind of surprised by that. Um but other than that the um the the song overall I um really no no thoughts on it. So it was just kind of I guess it was just kind of there for me. Um okay. but I did I did like the chorus. Interesting. Julie, how about you? Sorry. Sorry, I cut you off guard there. No, that's okay. Um, I love how it starts out. I love that single coil strat kind of sound, and it just has this kind of circular feeling. Um, again, I love Eddie Vedder's lyrics. You know, there's a lot to like about it, but I can see if you're not a fan of his voice, it might turn you off. Yeah, and the singer is such an identifying sound for a band. That's that's kind of a, a make or break. You know, you can like the music to a song, but if you don't like the singer, it can easily kill the deal. When we record uh, Backtracks, Aerosmith Revisited every week, I I, I tend to find that uh, Steven Tyler can either make or just kill a song. If if I if his vocal is bad, no matter how great the guitar riff is or how great the band is playing, it just kills the song for me. And it's it's the shame that one person can have so much influence over a piece of music when it's a collective presentation. But that really can be the identifier for a piece of music. Mm. Uh, yeah. Derek, why did you choose this one? Uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I I think when you said that it had that kind of almost 50s vibe to it, I think part of the reason I picked this song was because it felt like it stretched the... Uh, limits of kind of that grunge era and that grunge music, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, it, you know, a, a song like Them Bones is about as spot as you could get. And it's probably also the same reason I picked the Smashing Pumpkins song because it was this expansive experimental piece that was a little, you know, a little bit different. And so this one feels like, while there's a lot of things that tie back to the grunge era, it was also some things that were really different. I, I also love the guitar sound to it. I love that little riff. Um, big fan of the the just the the imagery in the lyrics and kind of the idea behind it. And ultimately, I mean, Vetter's voice plays a pretty big role in this song. So if you don't like that, it's not going to work for you. But if you if you are okay with his voice, it's a great solid song that builds and builds and kind of has this really interesting range to it. And it is this song that. Uh, Julie said circular and we listen to it like it keeps kind of doing this thing where it goes up it just as you think it's going to crescent it kind of comes back down and it kind of keeps getting these bigger and bigger loops until it finally gets to where it needs to go and so that's that's why I picked it to, uh, for all those reasons and I think that was one of the things that when I was listening to it I'm like is he going to go there nope is he going to go there nope oh and then when he when he did I was like okay that's a good surprise that was like a really good payoff 
in the song because the whole time you're like, he's not going to do it. He's not going to, he did it. You know, I, I really like that. Um, I, I, overall, yeah, I thought it was a great song. Uh, our next song is another band I had heard of, but I don't, I don't think I could name a single song by them, but their the band name was familiar, which is Temple of the Dog. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if maybe bands I knew or people I knew were playing their songs at the time, uh, but this song is called Pushing Forward Back, which is an interesting title. Um, coming in at about three minutes and 45 seconds. This one was another, uh, not quite 50s feel. It felt like it had more of a classic punk feel to it. Mm-hmm. I think of bands like The Misfits, uh, Sam Hain, that kind of feel to it, which I really like. I'm big on those bands, uh, very much so. Um, I thought the energy was really good. The bass guitar was just killer. Like the bass guitar alone would have sold me on the song. Uh, the sound was amazing. The performance was great. Uh, I thought it was a, a really good beat. It was a little repetitive for me, mm-hmm. but apart from that, I thought it was a killer song. Um, Derek, why'd you pick this one? Uh, I wanted to include this because it is a band. I mean, it's interesting. I think tying back to the mother love bone thing, right? There's connections with this, with Andrew Wood and Soundgarden, Pearl Jam. And this is basically the band that came out of Andrew Wood uh, dying and then Pearl Jam and Soundgarden getting together and putting this album out and stuff. And it's it because of that, it does feel like it's a distillation of that time period to a certain extent. Um, the album is solid and, um, there's more well-known songs on the on the album. Hunger Strike is probably the one that is most well-known. I almost went with that, but it felt a little bit too obvious. And I feel like felt like this one would probably honestly appeal to you guys a little bit more because of its the nature of the song. It is a little repetitive at the end. I will definitely agree with that. Right, probably one one or two less times of of saying uh pushing forward back would not have hurt the song but other than that it's a it's a it's a really um driving song you know driving forward song with uh great riffs um great performance um and just one that you can listen to even though it is repetitive you can listen to it over and over again well, and, and in all fairness, I mean, it, how many bands, especially in rock and roll, do you just hear chorus, 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 chorus until fade? You know, right. I, one of, one of my all time favorite albums is "Slided In" by Whitesnake, and that album is just full of let's just repeat the chorus until the engineer feels like dropping the fader to zero, and it's so obnoxious. But at the same point, it's like I love the sound of every song so much that I'm actually willing to put up with it. But from a writing perspective, it's like my God, couldn't you have? You're such you guys are such great writers. Could you have not come up with something? to end the song or do a change or, or fade it out with a guitar solo or just something other than chorus repeat, you know, that gets really stale after a while. Uh, John, what were your thoughts on this one? So um, aside from hunger strike, which, which Derek mentioned, um, I hadn't really, I don't think I heard anything else off of this album, which I thinking back, I remember this band because I re- I remember thinking there were um, some of my friends that were into this, where, where it's, oh it's a it's a it's like like a grunge super group and i'm like is, is it too early in grunge for there to be a super group like <laughs> but, but i mean there it was um but um anyways i'd only heard hunger strike um which um this one was um uh good to hear because i believe it was it was just chris cornell on vocals am i right um or um did he I'm- did he share vocals Eddie's on the Vetter's on the album. I don't know about this particular song. In all yeah, honesty, no, I I'm think not this, sure. But yeah, I it think might this be just song, Cornell for this song. Yeah, yeah. this song. Yeah, because I know that he had uh, they had like traded off vocals on the other song, and I know there was um, he might have done back backup, but I believe it was just Chris Cornell, which 
um, was was a selling point for me because we've established that I do like his him as a vocalist and um so i thought the vocals were really good and i and i really liked there was a there was a part that was really reminiscent of a kind of like a almost like a sabbathy breakdown um like right i think right before the guitar solo or something it sounded very kind of sabbath uh to me um and i mean admittedly i was looking for some of those comparisons because really some of these kind of 70s bands like i knew that these guys were kind of influenced by them or tied to them a little bit. So my ear picked something up. I'm like, Oh, that sounds kind of Sabbathy. Um, so I thought there was a kind of a cool riff in there. Um, but overall, I, I thought that this was uh pretty good. Um, I might, uh, I might want to check out more of it. Nice. And Julie, what, what did you think of this one? Well, I love this album and I love the super group. I would say it's less a super group and more just this collaboration of the whole scene. Mm-hmm. And I think they, again, going back to Andrew Wood, it's like a tribute to him. The whole, you know, let's get together. Let's write songs together. Let's keep this alive. And I feel that whole vibe kind of goes for the whole album. So I love the collaboration. I love uh, Chris Cornell, of course. What a tragedy that he's gone as well. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it's cool. Nice. Got Excellent. Included. Well, our last song on the list is by a band called Soundgarden, which, you know, I, even if you're not somebody who was interested in this area, I, it would be pretty impossible to not know who Soundgarden was. Uh, Drawing Flies is the name of the song, which is a very intriguing title. Um, there's so many different ways that could go. This is a really <laughs> short song at, at only two minutes and 26 seconds, which I mean, is, is very radio playable, right? I mean, that's such a, a killer time frame for a radio station to get a hold of a song. Uh, I thought the vocals were a, a little, um, annoying just because there weren't a lot of dynamics. It was almost too straightforward for me, which again, um, if you're listening to the vocals as an instrument, um, it just, it would have been just flat for me. Um, so I didn't really like that part. Uh, almost, almost like, um, and I don't mean flat in tone. I just mean flat as far as interesting. Um, it kind of reminded me of the reason that I'm not a fan of ACDC. It just was that one sound that you just hear throughout the whole thing. And, uh, it's, it's amazing to me. I said this on one of the podcasts recently. I don't get why ACDC was such a popular band because to me, that, that sort of grinding vocal is just so irritating that I can't even hear the music. And yet almost every time I get in the car and I turn on the radio, it's either Aerosmith or ACDC that's playing. I'm like, how is this possible? I don't even go in the car that often anymore. <laughs> you know, and there's always one of those two bands. So uh, for me, that the vocals were a, a big miss. Um, musically, I thought it was really good though. I, I really enjoyed the musical side of it. So this isn't, this one for me is not thumbs up or thumbs down. It's just kind of, yeah, it was an, it was an okay song. I didn't mind it. I wouldn't crave it again. Um, what was it about this one that uh, made you want to add this to the list? Uh, I thought it was, uh, again, a, another example of just a, something that was maybe a little bit outside of the typical sound of the era and wanted to show that there was a little bit more experimentation. Um, you know, it has some, I think it has some horns in it or something going on kind of, or some, some sort of different sound in the, in, in the mix going on um, different style of singing for sure. Right? Whether you like it or not, right. Just very different from, a, uh, from a lot of the other singers that we've been talking about here. Um, and I also, it's, it's a bit of a, of a heavy song, right. It, it kind of, it's interesting because it, 
it does have this the what the song ends up singing about with the drawing flies it's almost a little funny i don't i think it's dark and yet funny and and you know type of way uh and yet it has this heavy sound so i don't know again a, a very interesting song to me with some interesting dynamics and a different approach and something that um uh, maybe outside of the typical uh sound garden sound if you will okay that's fair uh julie what were your thoughts on this one I love this one too. <laughs> I think it's the uh this guitar riff that's like and then the drums are just driving. The whole thing just feels driving. And then the lyrics are almost like a verse refrain with X's in my eyes and drawing flies at the end of the the stanza there. Um the rhyme scheme is pretty cool. Um trying I let me just um take a look at my notes here. So the the lyric in the first verse, sitting here like uninvited company, wallowing in my own obscenities, I share a cigarette with negativity, sitting here like wet ashes with X's in my eyes and drawing flies. Yeah. You know? Great. Great opening lyrics, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and yeah. there's a contrast between the riff and the way the melody of the the lyric goes. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I, it, the vocals are really their own instrument in this one. You know, kind of, kind of just making their own riff, and uh, and I did appreciate that. I just didn't like the vocal style, but I, I I like that part of it. And I thought the lyrics were great too. They're very image oriented. Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of feel like we've all been at a party where we felt like that, mm-hmm. uh, or at least I have. Uh, John, what were your thoughts on this one? This uh, this really reminded me of. Um because we were just talking about Sabbath comparisons, but it really uh, made me think of uh, Children of the Grave by Sabbath and kind of um, kind of riff and beat, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, while I was listening to it, I was actually kind of like closing my eyes and being like, yeah, I could, I could like actually hear like Ozzy singing this, um, which is, uh, which was kind of a neat comparison to make because um, I, I, this was um, I, I listened to this part of the playlist before uh, Julie. So I was first getting into, um, just that mindset and thinking like, okay, I can start to see some of the comparisons to stuff that I like or, or have liked. Um, but, um, yeah, I thought they, I, I like the vocals because again, it's Chris Cornell. Um, and, um, the, um, yeah, I thought the, uh, uh considering the, the guitar player of, um, is it Kim, how do you say Kim, Kim Thayo? Fail, yeah, yeah, is um was influenced by the the Beatles, Kiss, Jeff Beck, Jimi Hendrix. Um, I mean that it just makes sense that he was coming from that kind of space. I mean, as well as um, I believe when I was uh, kind of reading up on him, like other kind of like uh kind of punk and hardcore bands, but the classic influences were right there. So, uh, to me, that kind of made it make sense. But um, yeah, I thought this one was pretty good. Yeah, I, I have to say that I think you guys picked a very well-rounded list. I really feel like I've, I've got a really good uh, idea now of what what this era of music uh, encapsulated, because it really isn't just that one sound or those two sounds that I had originally envisioned it being. Uh, John, you came into this with a, uh, a an open-minded but pained history. Where do you stand with things now uh, as far as uh, after hearing these songs on the playlist? Well, I'll tell you, when we did the first episode and the first half of the playlist came out, which was Derek's, I was listening to it and I'm like, eh, not really sold. I'm like, eh, I could hear a couple of things in here. And then I just kind of put it aside. And then... Um, 
kind of listening again and um actually I, I mean it was between like i was sitting down i was kind of doing chores around the house re-listening to the playlist again today and um kind of taking some notes on it um dare i say that i will probably go back and listen to the playlist again maybe even branch out a little bit because um i think the first our first discussion was I feel like it was more talking about the the cultural impact or significance of the music and maybe how it made, um, in my perspective, how it made me feel. And now I think this has helped me get over the hump. <laughs> now I'm just listening to it as music and uh, intentionally trying to find things in it that I enjoy uh, rather than going into it being like, I don't like these vocals and these idiots don't know how to play their instruments or whatever um kind of mind mindset like oh you, you don't know how to you don't know how to you know shred so take a hike um get so, off my lawn um, <laughs> yeah exactly um but uh but yeah i think that um i think that i i would be more in the mood to kind of explore some of these because uh just like i always say um about uh, music that anybody doesn't like if you're from the outside looking in and you're listening to any genre of music country rap this um hair metal you're going to look at it and think oh okay it's it's all the same you lump it all in together but once you start to pick it apart if you give it a chance if you take the time um like we have here like i have specifically then you start to find things in there that you go okay i like this there's there's different subgenres or different musicians or different styles in there and um yeah i'm finding that i do enjoy some of them so maybe maybe this is the end of an era <laughs> come to the dark side <laughs> <laughs> well and, and i think you bring up a good point i mean even within one band take the beatles they wrote so many different types of songs uh you know take somebody like shania twain who yes she's a country artist but she's also a pop artist and she's also a rock artist and you know even within one band you have them doing so many different kinds of things that to classify a whole genre and say this is the sound of this style of music is really unfair because within that there's so many different frameworks and contexts that it's it's just it's it's almost unfair to label anything at this point because it's just too it's too defining when there's too many things that define it you know but but at the same point i understand the marketability of it to say hey i think you'd like this song well before i invest in listening to the song you want me to listen to you've got to give me some kind of framework or reference or something that is going to attract me to it so i'm going to classify it as a genre or you know something to say oh it's a rock song you'll like this you know, so I, I get both sides of it. But at the same point, I think just like if I were to have said six months ago, hey, John, there's this grunge band you might want to check out and you would have gone, nah, I don't really like grunge and, and might not have been inclined to listen to it because I classified it in a way that that was immediately a turnoff to you. Right. So I, I do find that frustrating. Um, but at the same point, you know, as a musician, especially um, I understand the marketing side of it, but also just like for, for me to be able to say, hey, there's this rock band that you might check out. I know that you like rock music. Like I, I get how it's a benefit, but it's also kind of pigeonholing at the same time, you know, um, right. but I want to thank right. uh, Julie and, and Derek for the playlist. I think you guys gave us some great material to work with. I definitely yeah. found some stuff in there that I really enjoyed, uh, which is always nice for me because I don't, I, I, I'm at the point 
really, I have been for a long time where I really don't open up to a whole lot of new things. I've kind of found, you know, like when you go to a restaurant, you're like, well, this is my restaurant that makes me happy. So it's where I continue to go. Here are the three things that I order because they always make me happy. I don't really like to try new things and take a chance on being disappointed. Uh, so I, I appreciate that you guys gave me some new stuff to enjoy. Um, even the stuff that I didn't like necessarily, I found some stuff to enjoy or appreciate in. So that was good. Um, before we do final thoughts, I want to thank you guys for all the time that you've invested in our two-part series here. Thank you for being part of our milestone, our, it's my 300th uh, episode. I always say R as if there's other people involved with the show. It's there's not, it's, it's just me. Um, (laughs) But, uh, but I, I greatly appreciate it. It's been so much fun hanging out with you guys, getting to know you, Derek, uh, through the podcast, because we had not met until we started recording the last episode. So I really appreciate you guys. Uh, John, I'll start with you. Do you have some final thoughts on uh, what we've done to you here? <laughs> Damn you people. No, actually it's um it's it's actually good. I think uh what I what I'd said before pretty much puts a puts a button on it is um I I think I'm actually uh, you know, I'm very grateful for this experience because I think uh without without knowing it or maybe maybe you did know it was is that uh by doing this experiment of having Julie and Derek put together a playlist and having you and I listen to these things it it um, you know, it forced me to open up to it because uh, it's just like, okay, this is this is my job or this is my assignment until the next episode. So I had that feeling of obligation, like, ah, eh, you know, here, try and listen to this. I mean, yeah, I don't have to listen to it for anything. But I knew that I wanted to be well educated coming into the to the episodes. So, you know, I did that, and in the process, discovered that there was uh, some some uh, some music that um, I could go back and. Um, um, explore, uh, kind of re reevaluate and, um, maybe, um, you know, it'll open me up to, to, uh, new possibilities, you know? So, and I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful for that, uh, experience. And it's, uh, feel like maybe it's broken a long cycle of, uh, uh, feeling a certain way toward, uh, this style of music. Nice. Well, that's what we're all about here is breaking barriers and exposing people to new things and finding the the yeah. ability to share our passion for art. You know, that, well, that yeah, was I mean, one of the one of the reasons I started the show to begin with. And I mean it's um um I mean you're you're definitely right, as as we get older, we stay in our lanes. Or a lot of people tend to this is my favorite thing, it makes me feel good and I'm gonna keep doing it. But and I definitely have those, but I think as you get older too, like uh, at least if you're, you know, of a uh, sound mind or, um, um, you know, uh, you're a, a, a healthy functioning person, you're also like, yeah, I can be, I can be open to new things. You, I, I can at least try it. It doesn't mean I have to like it, but, um, and, and that's, that's where I'm at is, is like, I'll, I'll try, I'll give things a chance. Whereas the, you know, young, when I was younger, I wouldn't. Um, for whatever preconceived notion. So, um, I mean, this could have been like, okay, I gave it a chance. I don't like it, but at least I could say I tried it, but, you know, happy to say I tried it and, um, I, I enjoyed a lot of it. Good. Good. I'm, I'm very happy to hear that. Um, and no one's ever accused me of being of sound mind uh, by any means. Uh, <laughs> Derek, what are your thoughts? This was just a lot of fun to do. Uh, and glad I was able to uh, share some music that I like with other people that just love music in general. So this was fun. Excellent. Julie, how about you? I agree, man. Um, 
It wasn't too hard. I just picked my own songs that I enjoyed. And I'm not, I don't ever claim to be an expert on grunge. You know, I just know what I heard and liked. So I appreciate you guys being so open to try it. I know what you're saying about being in a comfort zone. It's nice to, to be in your, your macaroni and cheese and a soft blanket that you know so well, but then stepping out into something, especially when you, if you perceived it as destroying the music that you loved, I can see why you could be hesitant to want to try it out. But the fact that you found something you like, that's just awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, the good thing is, is that Debbie Gibson's music was in no danger throughout the entire grunge uh, era. She's still going strong. Oh, yeah. Uh, I do. I do have to say, um, I, I definitely, you know, kind of like disco, it had a big impact for the time. Disco was much shorter lived, but it was an important time. You know, it, it had its impact. I think it's still grunge is still affecting the way that music is written today. It changed the industry for sure. And I think it gave us a new palette of sounds, which is always nice, um, just because I didn't necessarily enjoy everything I heard uh, during that era and, and even today on the playlist. Uh, I can appreciate what it's done for the industry. And when I listen to songs today, I think that, you know, we wouldn't have music the way we did today if it wasn't for grunge and then the things that came before that and influenced it, whether it be, you know, Elvis or Led Zeppelin or Black Sabbath or, you know, any of that kind of thing. Um, there are are so many um, things that, that are influenced by that. So those are all very important. And uh, I greatly appreciate you guys sharing that with us. Uh, very cool. And uh, thank you guys for coming on the show. We'll have to do something else uh, down the road at some point. Thanks Definitely. for having me. Great. That would be great to do. You guys take care. And you guys, thank you for joining me for another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. Cheers. Cheers.